The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome in, guys, and I hope you're ready, because it is... It's that time again. It's a Krako tale. And today's Krako tale is a very interesting one. I know you said there's a a twist and like a surprise ending. Yeah, there's a there's an ending that there's an ending. <laughs> just just stop there. Oh, it definitely has an end. It's it's if you haven't heard this story before, it's it's one that might you might not really be expecting. I saw the name because we have our our calendar and all that stuff, but I have never heard the story. The name does not look familiar, so I'm a little scared. Fine, it's it's fine. Um, But I will say this one, I need to include a a trigger warning at the beginning of this one. There is uh, discussions of child abuse in this one. So if that is something that uh, is a a no-no, maybe you want to go back to another one and just wait for the next one because... Unfortunately, that's kind of how this one goes. I don't know how people will feel about the next one either, because um, I don't know. I think I told you this, but I had like three stories to research and I was like, okay, I don't know which one to do. And I wasn't really particular drawn to any of them. Like all of them I was excited about. I was like, okay, these are all good. So I rolled a dice and it was like one, two gets this story. Three, four gets that story. Five, six gets this story. And the next one's a cannibal. So, so, it's, so it just goes downhill. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that people don't tune into a podcast like this expecting happy things. No, but some are worse than others, I would say. Because, I mean, Mothman is just creepy story. Then you have things that actually will... Technically, Mothman sightings actually happened, supposedly, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but then there's stuff that is of a more sensitive nature. There's evidence of that we can say this did happen. So this is the story of Gary Plochet. He was his name actually is Leon Gary Plochet, but he's always gone by Gary. He was born on November 10th, 1945 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This is just what you would think of whenever you think of a suburban dad, you know, you know, with the the white Reeboks on and the khaki shorts with the <laughs> the, the white socks going up to the knee out on the grill. The, the New Balance shoes, they're slightly green. New Balance, that's it, not Reebok. That That is basically Gary. He, he served in the Air Force for a short time and he was even promoted to staff sergeant. Um, Later on, he would leave the army and work as a cameraman for a local news station. And he also did some uh, uh, some work as a salesman uh, for selling also computer or uh, not computer camera equipment, computers, cameras. It's all the same computers. It's it's technology. It's it's the crunchy chips. It's it's fine. Did you just did the the crunchy chips, computer chips? And technically they are crunchy. I'm not wrong. You know, if you break one, they make a crunch. 
and they're called computer chips. It, it's fine. I wouldn't worry about it. He was an equipment salesman. It's fine. Okay. Moving on. And we're we're gonna we're gonna begin our story with as most well I would say unsolved mysteries, but this is not unsolved. Um, things were normal until they weren't. <laughs> Gary was just an average dad living his living his life with his his white New Balance shoes out on the grill, <laughs> making sure no one touches the thermostat. Basically, yes, doing dad stuff. Um, Have you ever seen the meme where a dad got a tattoo of a thermos? On his arm. My God, I've seen that one. Yes. Yeah, and he's like, "No, don't turn, don't touch the thermostat." Why is that something that Chris would do? I I can see the pun tattoos being a thing with him. I mean, he would never get a tattoo. I keep thinking of getting another one, but I just haven't. You, you could get one of like the Squonk and the Hag logo. I could do that, and I also thought about uh, the kitties. That too. Yeah. Do, do you have enough room for a Bubba tattoo? <laughs> If I That's like a whole back piece right there. If I got a life-size Bubba tattoo, it would be an entire back piece. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with this. And that's only if he's like curled up or loafing. You, you could have him like curled up and it, he's like holding a chalupa from Taco Bell. Well, we had we had Taco Tuesday this week. Chris had leftover tacos for lunch today. And Bubba sat there on the bench in the kitchen and just stared him down the whole time. I mean, his thought process was most likely, if I stare long enough, I'll get something. Unfortunately, he did not. And there's our first tangent on tacos. I mean, if you're gonna have a tangent, it should be about tacos. This is fair. But, um, talking about Gary and his life before everything happened, th there's not really much there from what I can find just because didn't really do much besides being in the Air Force and getting promoted to staff sergeant. And after leaving the Army, he was just he was just a normal dad. He's just he's just some guy in Louisiana. A dude. He had a wife. Her name was June. And they together they had four children. Everything kind of started getting bad. This is where we get into the um, I, I guess the meat of the story on February 19th, 1984. We have another person to talk about, a man named Jeffrey Doucette. And again, not much is known about Jeff because other than that he was born in Port Arthur, Texas in 1959. And by his own admission, he was also sexually abused as a child. That's about all that's known about him because as we see later on, there there wasn't much opportunity to learn much about him. But um, Jeff would eventually go on to carry out this same kind of abuse that uh, that he had to endure as a child and things escalated to a point where Jeff even said that he couldn't remember the number of his victims so oh my god I know what's really sad is the cycle of abuse and it's it's various types of abuse too not just this kind but a lot of times if you don't get help and have a solid support system, if you're a victim of abuse, usually you become an abuser or you just keep getting yourself into relationships and situations where you become a victim. And it's really, really sad. And to hear it go to this level where he couldn't even remember the number of victims is just, I think it's a tragedy. And it's upsetting. Yeah, and, and that's the one of the problems, like you said, unless you have a good support system to get through that and all. Jeff didn't have that because he eventually would move to Baton Rouge 
uh, Louisiana, where he became a karate instructor. Now, he had no friends, no family. It was just him. He was on his own, and he was having such a hard time. He became a karate instructor there, and he was having such a hard time that he was living in the karate studio. Oh, my God. That was his home as well as his work. I mean, at least he had a roof over his head. Yeah, I mean, at least it's something. I I don't I couldn't find anything about like what the living area looked like in there. So I don't know if he just kind of like slept on the floor in the corner or if he actually had like a little studio apartment in the back or I, I couldn't figure out how that worked. But somehow he was living in there. I don't know how showers were a thing, but, you know, somehow he was making it work. And uh, he was just 24 when he started when he moved down there and, and was living in the karate studio. Uh, this was around 1983, and this is at the same time he met uh, Gary's son, Jody. So, like, all the kids, all of his students at the, uh, the the karate studio loved him because, like, he would take them on trips. It wasn't just go and do your lessons and then come back home. Like, they went on, like, camping trips. They went to the, the roller skating rink. They did movies, all kinds of stuff with his students. So... To, to some of them, especially Jody, uh, he was he was kind of like a father figure in a sense because he spent a lot. They they spent a lot of time together on these trips and stuff. Because around this time, Gary and, and June had had a divorce, so Jody and his brother Mikey began to look up to Jeff and kind of see him as as like I said, like a father figure. So because he was he was the one taking him on all these trips and doing all this stuff with him. And uh, during all of this, Jeff would become good friends with Gary. There's even an interview. I can't I can't remember um, which documentary this was from, but uh, they interviewed the family and everything. And Jody said uh, Gary at one point was just broke down and started crying. And he was like, what's wrong? And uh, Gary would say, I just feel so bad for him. He's He's got nobody. He's just living in this karate studio. So Gary oh. invited Jeff over to his place and gave him a shower and in, invited him to a family dinner. Oh, wow. So Jeff became like a close family friend. That's crazy. And I, I, I hate that I think of this, but I know you were saying how he would take the kids on trips and they would go on camping trips and things like that. And a lot of times predators like that will do those sorts of things. And it's sad because there are people who aren't predators that do kind things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to tell, <laughs> which is probably why they continue to do this. But, you know, they do that to get the kids trust, get them to really like their company, to form this bond leading up to the types of abuse that they uh, conduct and it's like I said it's awful but it is but surprisingly I couldn't find anything else about his time in Louisiana other than this incident so I don't know if he was not doing anything you know to any of the other students or any or it was just so happened that that started up when he met Jody or if no one ever came forward with other accusations against him in in this area but so, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's, it's possible, but... Yeah, because something like this, not... There's a lot of people who don't come forward because they're scared or embarrassed. And yeah. It's unfortunately something that even though it's better today and people are more open about it, still a lot of people 
uh, have been through horrible situations like this without coming forward. Yeah, I, I didn't include this one in the, uh, the the document that I wrote up, but basically there was an instance where uh, Jeff was dropping Jody off at his uncle's place after one of their trips. This is this will show like how close Gary and Jeff were. Supposedly, the uncle witnessed. They did. They, Jeff didn't realize that the uncle was watching. I guess I think he was dropping them off, and the uncle was inside watching through the window, you know, to make sure they got in and everything. And Jeff didn't know that. And the uncle, Jody's uncle, witnessed Jeff giving Jody a kiss on the mouth. Oh, being upset about this, he didn't immediately confront Jeff. Instead, he's like, "I'm calling Gary and letting him know what's going on." Yeah. Gary's response was. There's no way Jeff would do anything like that. You've got to be mistaken. I'm sure you. There's a misunderstanding. You did. You. You. I don't think you saw what you think you saw. There's no way Jeff would do that. He. He didn't believe it. It's. It's. It's hard to believe something like that too. It's just. Yeah, especially if you're as close with him as Gary was with with him. Yeah, you just don't want to. And a lot of times, if you don't want to believe something, you just won't. Yeah. So that's. That's awful. But as I said, Jeff uh, began spending a lot more time with Jody and the Plochets because they were all really good friends and everything. Around March 1983 is when Jeff began inappropriately touching Jody as well as sleeping with him during karate trips. And this would eventually escalate to rape. Uh, according to Jody, after this occurred, Jeff would sexually assault him almost every day, sometimes twice a day over the course of the following months. Oh, my God. And... How old was Jody at the time? Like Jody was eleven when all of this was going on. So, like, I'm, I'm assuming it took place. You know, this all from when this started to when this ended and everything. He was about ten, eleven, somewhere in that range. So that's horrible. But it it really escalated even further on February nineteenth, nineteen eighty four. Jeff was actually about to go on trial for using some bad checks when uh, he decided to stop by the Plochet's home and he told Gary's wife June that he was picking Jody up and they were going to go run an errand and they would be back in about fifteen minutes. But that's not exactly what happened. Um, of course, June had no reason not to trust Jeff because they had no clue what was going on. They never came home that night. So, uh, oh, so 15 minutes turned into what, kidnapping? Pretty much. Yeah, because that, that, that night, Jeff and Jody were on a bus headed to California. Oh, my God. And along the way, Jeff had shaved his beard and dyed Jody's hair from blonde to black to, in an attempt to pass him off as his own son so they could hide from law enforcement better, so that way no one would look twice at, at those two. What? And and the kid just went along with it? or Yeah, he, he went with him because he... I, I, like you said, he was probably scared and didn't know what to do or how to tell anyone. So at this point, he's in the car with the guy and he didn't really it seemed like he didn't really have a choice but to go along with it. Oh, my God. And uh, they actually got all the way to Anaheim, California, and they, they, they checked into a cheap motel, actually just a short distance away from Disneyland. I'm not sure exactly which hotel this was, but um, and. The, of course, the sexual abuse would continue until February 29th when Jody uh, asked Jeff if he could call home and tell everyone that he was OK and let them know what was going on. Of course, in doing this, the FBI were alerted and were tracing the call and, and telling the California police where he was at. Yeah. Um, during the call, June asked to speak to Jeff to talk to him to see, you know, how he was doing, just carry on a normal conversation like she wasn't worried or anything just to keep him on the phone. She managed to keep him on the phone 
long enough that she heard a banging in the background, followed by, this is the police, get against the wall now, before the phone was cut. Oh my god. So she she was actually able to hear Jeff being arrested. I, I can't imagine, obviously, what she was thinking and how she was feeling, but I could Im- I feel like she was probably relieved and proud and, you know, knowing that now her son was, you know, with police and safe. And that's crazy. And then thankfully there was no incident. They were able to get in, arrest him and and uh, get Jody out and everything. So nothing else happened. I wonder if this is why, like now, you know, on TV, they're always like, the call can't be too long because they're going to trace you and arrest you. Probably. I know part of that is false. Like, I I do know that that is greatly exaggerated and all that stuff. But um, I do. Obviously, you do need some sort of guess time or something Yeah, because i don't i don't exactly know how that works especially back then i'm sure the technology has has advanced where you know they can just ping cell phone signals now there doesn't even need to be a call yeah well the problem nowadays is a lot of people use um voip the voice over internet oh yeah yeah and like i even like i i have a cell phone carrier but it uses my wi-fi to help reduce the amount of not data but like uh tower traffic so that is technically a a voip yeah but it's not like a a shady you know it's not like i'm like oh i don't want anybody to track me it's it's not because you're trying to hide from the police exactly exactly uh but you know there are people that use stuff like that and they're able to like even digitally if it's some sort of uh, either chat room or text chat or anything like that they can use you know proxies and vpns and all that stuff to avoid detection so it's the age of technology is an interesting place (laughs) yeah but apparently this was a case of we need you to make a phone call and hold that phone call long enough for us to ping where the phone call is coming from. Yeah. So, but thankfully, there was no incident in arresting him, and it was all fine. That's good. In in that part, of course, everything else before then was not fine. Yes, yes. But, but yeah, they they got him, and uh, Jody was able to return home to his family in Baton Rouge on March first in 1984. Uh, and around this time, his father Gary began hearing through news reports and stuff like that that his son had been sexually assaulted by Jeff. This was the first time he was really realizing what Jeff had did. I'm I'm guessing that he had just assumed that Jeff had just kidnapped him and that nothing else was going on, but now he's realizing what happened. Yeah, and I wonder, because I know a lot of times with situations where something bad happened and there was some sort of warning or a warning sign. So like the uncle saying, hey, I saw this. And then in retrospect, I'm I wonder if there was some guilt involved because, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, my God, if I had just then this never would have happened. So that I wonder. It it could have been. Yeah, yeah, but that's awful. It's like that, especially since he had to find out about it through like news reports. And yeah, there's no good way to ever find out something like that. There's absolutely no, no, but finding out through the news and not the police being like, here's what happened. Yeah. Like kind of thing. Yeah. I would much rather have a detective tell me than to hear it on the six o'clock news. Just overhearing it. Yeah. But uh, Gary was actually interviewed 
not long after uh, when I think there's there's even some interviews of the family whenever they were in the airport when Jody returned home and Gary said that uh, he felt a sense of helplessness when he heard these reports about what happened to his son because he was just like there wasn't anything I could have done while he was while you know those two were away before we got him back just in general that whole situation of knowing what his son went through all by himself because you know obviously the kid was scared and yeah felt felt like he had no one be even before the kidnapping but then you know having your child taken away from you and so i guess baton rouge it's it's still like i guess kind of east yeah part of the U.S., you know what I mean? So it was like over halfway across the country. He took this, you know, he took the kid to California. So it's like knowing that you couldn't do anything to stop any of the stuff that happened. I, I a, a sense of helplessness, I think, is not exaggerated. Kind of the an opposite. understatement. An understatement. There you go. <laughs> I'm like... That's the word. An unexaggeration. A reverse exaggeration. I... This is... Yeah. English is not my strong suit. <laughs> so now we're going to get into our twist a little bit here. Uh-oh. Gary, of course, he's glad to have his son back and everything's fine. Uh, Jeff is in custody Everything seems to be fine, but he was still on edge and felt that he had to take justice into his own hands. So I'm going to I'm just going to say right now that is never a good idea. No, I know that the justice system is flawed and sometimes it fails and you don't always get the outcome you want. But yeah, but you, you don't take justice into your own hands. Yeah, like that's just that's just asking for trouble and a lot of people like I don't know how far he goes because you know I have no idea what the story I, I can guess oh wait wait until you see where this oh, goes great. but no matter what you do when you take justice in your own hands whether you go to extremes or you know maybe not quite as bad you're gonna feel terrible because it means you have to do something terrible yeah so good people will do horrible things in the name of quote unquote justice, which it's more in the name of revenge. Pretty much, yeah. But it never it never ends well for anybody. Whereas at least if you go the proper channels and you allow the justice system to do its thing, you won't have dirt on your hands or in some cases blood on your hands or yes gasoline or whatever you get on your hands doing the horrible things that you shouldn't be doing <laughs> yes i just realized i accidentally got really preachy there sorry i mean you have a point i didn't see it as preachy i mean you, you're right okay okay because like sometimes i talk and then afterwards i'm like oh I mean, no, you're right. Taking justice into your own hands. I mean, at that point, you in the moment, you feel like you're doing what needs to be done. But then afterwards, there's the consequences afterwards. So, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, everyone has consequences for their actions. Yes. And if you commit a crime against somebody because they committed a crime, that makes you a criminal, too. (laughs) 
Yeah. And technically, now that I think about it, there's actually two twist endings. There's the first twist ending and then what? another one after the fact that you, you, you're you not expecting how, how this to actually end. So Is he a figure skater doing the, the triple twisty turn jab this story feels like it <laughs> I, I used to watch figure skating when i was a kid i haven't watched in a long time and i forgot all the words for the jumps so now it's the trip doing the twisty spinny is thing the triple twisty jab yes perfect mm-hmm. that is exactly what it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know i should be a sports commentator i would pay for that what's funny is so like Chris and I are huge hockey fans and huge baseball fans. And I know a lot about hockey and baseball. I know a lot about the rules. I know a lot about statistics. I keep the scorecard when we go to baseball games. Chris a lot of times has to ask me about why certain calls were made on the ice and all this stuff. But I can't communicate those things. He did a bad thing with the stick and the ball and and then he didn't run fast enough. And then he did the thing when he was supposed to do the stuff. Is that, is that about how it goes? That's pretty much how I explain it. But in my brain, I'm like, okay, so he got this penalty because he did this thing. But my mouth is just like, he took his stick and he did the little, like the jibber jabby, and now he's in the penalty box. Understandable. Somewhere something goes down a wrong path and, and by the time it comes out, it's it's a little different. Yeah, the the, the wires... And the pneumatic tubes connecting my brain to my mouth don't function properly. Things are hot wired, basically. Yeah, somebody just came in and they were like, oh, let's steal this brain. And they tried to hotwire it. Someone stole your catalytic converter. <laughs> I don't know what a catalytic converter does, but I'm assuming it's part of the vroom vroom beep beep. Pretty much, yeah. It makes the car do the vroom vroom beep beeps, I, 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 I think. I might not even be right. So, okay, my, my you could tell me anything and I would believe you. My father can take an engine apart and put it back together and it will run better than it did before. I know that there's an engine in a car. I can take an engine apart, <laughs> but I won't be able to put it back together, nor will I know what I took apart or <laughs> how I took it apart. Well, I mean, I feel like anybody technically could take an engine apart. There are things called sledgehammers. Exactly. But <laughs> I know nothing about cars, but I could probably find a way to take one apart. <laughs> Just give me a, a power drill and a crowbar. and <laughs> we, we, we know what happens with you and power drills. Let's, let's nod. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, that power drill and me are friends. It's just when my friend Beer gets in the mix that we... Ah, of course, blame blame someone else. I see how it is. Sometimes you just have friends who are like, hey, what's up? And then you're like, hmm. Let's just stop it right there. Sometimes you have friends that are just like, hey. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not my fault that beer is tasty and... I don't drink often, but when I do, one or two is usually enough, mm-hmm. and then I feel like I can use power tools. <laughs> this is why I'm not allowed to have power tools other than my power drill. Understandable. My, my mind just, with you, my mind just immediately goes to that scene in, in the movie Step Brothers where they're building the bunk beds, and it's just like, <laughs> no power tools. <laughs> that is not your toothbrush. No power tools. Hey. You know what? That okay. So I have used that power drill to hang stuff on the walls, to build furniture, to hey, I, I redid my bathroom. I it's just as long as I, you know, I can't have my friend beer over when I do that stuff. Those two friends don't get along. Yeah, 
I feel I should name my power drill so that I could be like, you know, when strawberry wheat comes over, Frida and I can't hang out. Frida the power drill. Wonderful. It's canon now. You won't put googly eyes on it. I have googly eyes on my robot vacuum. You've got some stuff to make a small fake wig to put on it, too. Oh, my God. Do it. You won't. Well, now I guess tonight after we're done recording, I'm putting googly eyes and a small fake wig on my power drill. I anxiously await the photos. <laughs> Tangent over about power drills. The, the triple twisty jab. Here we go. So, everything seems fine. Jody's home. Jeff is in custody. But Gary's not exactly happy. So he spends the next few days at the Cotton Club. It's, uh, it's a local bar that he always hangs out at. And he was asking around if anyone knew when Jeff might be brought back into town for trial. Just so happens that on one night uh, yeah and now, now you kind of see where this is going yeah. are you good you, you put some wd-40 on those door hinges are you good <laughs> it's, i can see where it's going and it's not going somewhere good because mm, it, it it just so happened that a, a former co-worker from the news station where gary had worked was there that night and told him that Jeff would be flown in at 9.08 a.m. Oh, so he knew exact time, exact place. Yeah, because he worked with the news because so he because like a lot of news agencies were going to be there filming whenever Jeff was brought in to the airport. So this coworker, I don't guess, thought anything about it. That He was just like, oh, he just wants to know when his trial is. He didn't he didn't think about what Jeff or what Gary might be going to do. So on March 16th at 9.08 a.m., Jeff was being escorted. Oh, was the plane exactly on time? That's a rarity. I know. Especially these days. Just so happens it was on time. Jeff was being escorted through the airport at, in Baton Rouge by two deputies that, again, it just so happens that the two deputies that are escorting Jeff are longtime drinking buddies with Gary, Mike Barnett and Bud Connor. But what they didn't know is that Gary was waiting for them by the payphones. And Gary had had pulled a, a spy movie and put on a baseball cap and some dark sunglasses, and they did not recognize him. Now, this is the first time I've heard this part of the story, so I'm not 100% sure how accurate this is, but supposedly, from what I could find, he was on the phone with uh, one of his friends by the name of Jim Adams, and Jim was just on the phone with Gary, I guess, to see what was going to happen or, you know, I, I don't know if he was in on it. I couldn't really find anything out about Jim. So supposedly their conversation went something like this. Gary says I, it was just one sided. Jim is just listening. So Gary says, I see them coming. Oh, no, they, they took a different way out. No, they're coming. They're going to walk right past me. And since Gary was keeping his back to the news crew and he was facing the phone kind of in the little cubby. So that way they it would be harder for them to recognize him. He said, when I see the light come on on the camera, I'm going to shoot oh him. Oh, my God. I'm pulling the gun out of my boot. You're going to hear the shot. And as Jeff passed directly in front of a cameraman, Gary turns around and shot Jeff in the head. Oh, my God. Now, was any of the like that? Uh, that's the that's awful. Um, but were any of the news cameras doing live coverage or was this filmed? Yes, they were filming. They were filming, but. Uh, I think I think they were taping. I think. Okay, so I don't think it was live. Okay, I mean, but, small miracles. Like, yeah, because surprisingly, the footage of this incident is up on YouTube. What? There, because the only thing in the footage, there's nothing graphic in the video at all, other than you hear the shot, and 
there's just a commotion, but that's the only thing that I that's like quote graphic in there. But they don't they're not actually like framed on camera on him when it happens. No, Jeff and Gary are both in frame and you see Je- Gary turn around and aim his pistol up at Jeff and he fires just as Jeff gets just off to the side of the camera. So like you see Jeff fall, you hear after you hear the shot and that's and then you see the deputies run over to Gary. Oh, my God. Uh, and actually, because that's why they didn't the deputies didn't immediately draw their guns and fire at gary was because in their mind i guess they knew that like at that point they're like that's gary he's he's not a threat like that he's not gonna just shoot everyone so they were able to actually yeah go over and get the gun from him and pin him against the wall and actually that's what you can hear afterwards because the cameras are just focused on gary at that point well, and they, when they realized who he was, they knew exactly why he did what he did. Not that he was just there to shoot the place up. They, they understood like, oh, 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 crap. Yeah, because there was actually an interview with the, the cameraman that filmed this too. Yeah, and in, in the video, like I said, if, if anyone wants to look it up, do so at your own discretion. But like I said, there's nothing graphic in there. You just hear the shot and then the commotion and everything. There's nothing visually graphic in this, but... Of course, what's happening is, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but like visually, you can't see. You don't see the aftermath. Let's put it that way. Uh, Small miracles. Yeah, but the deputies were able to get Gary against the wall and you can hear them asking Gary, why? Why, Gary? And he said, I had to do it. I had to do it. You know what he did to my son. If somebody did that to your kid, you would do it too. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people like victims families and things like that do feel like that and it's it's sad that he followed through he followed through yeah that's the words yeah. i was looking for uh, at that point they they took jeff into custody or uh, jeff i'm getting my names confused they took gary into custody and jeff was taken to the hospital where he would fall into a coma and he died the following day i'm actually a little surprised because you said he was shot in the head i expected that he would have died pretty much then and there yeah from what i see he went into a coma and he didn't actually die until the next day it's even more surprising that of, of how it happened like when when you see the angle and like how Gary did it and everything he didn't miss because he still had the phone in his left hand oh wow and you know there's so much going on nerves and craziness and the thing obviously he wouldn't have thought of this but what if all of that the commotion the reporters the noise the nerves the adrenaline if he had missed and shot someone else like yeah because Jeff was between him and the camera crews. Oh my god, yeah. Like, if he had been off just a, a couple inches, he could have killed an innocent person. But it, it's, like I said, that's something that's, like, interesting to when you can actually see the event take place, because it seems like, it seems like it's so long before he actually does anything, but it's it's very quick when you think about it, but, like, he had a moment to turn around, get eyes on Jeff, and then raise the gun. Like, it, he didn't take his time doing it, but it wasn't as quick as you would think. Yeah. But the th- uh, when the, when you're in situations like that, sometimes time feels like it's going faster and sometimes time feels like it's going slower. Yeah. So, yeah. 
that's just wow. But another thing that I thought was interesting, it's it's not funny, but the person's response kind of is to me a little bit because Gary's wife, June, was later interviewed after the shooting and they were asking her what her opinion was on what Gary had done. And her only response was, the least you could have done was let me drive you. Yeah, and you do have to, like, like I said, you you shouldn't take justice in your own hands because now no. he does have to live with the fact that he took a life. And that is not good or easy on anybody's psyche. But, yeah. and it doesn't, I'm not justifying this, but... Jeff was a monster. So, yes, he shouldn't have done it, but they had such powerful feelings because he did something so horrible. So I I, I can see, I can understand why they would have responded like this. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's good, but I can understand. And that's the other thing is that, like, Jody seems to be doing fine in the little interview that I saw. The only thing is, is that... After his dad did that, that's all people associate him with is what his dad did. And he kind of can't forget because they keep reminding him of that because I didn't know about it. But apparently he's got a YouTube channel where he'll he I don't think he's uploaded in a while because I think I looked at it where he's uploaded, you know, just random videos and stuff like home movies and stuff of either him cooking something or whatever. And just the comments, he said, instead of people commenting on what was in the video, it was just something like your dad's a hero or something like that or like commenting on what his dad did yeah like you can't heal if you're constantly reminded of it yeah so i kind of in a way it did a little more damage than he was intending to by by doing this to jeff so for the other spinny twisty jab (laughs) i will only refer to twists as spinny twisty jabs Mm -hmm. spinny twisty jab Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. technical term yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. gary was actually charged with second degree murder But he took a plea deal where he pleaded no contest to manslaughter and was given a sentence of seven years suspended sentence, which included five years of probation and 300 hours of community service. And other than the initial jail time when he was arrested, he never spent a day in prison. I feel, yeah, maybe you're going to say something about it, but it's, um, I don't want to say temporary insanity, but like there are times where, um... You know, where they like if you're a victim in self-defense or if you're a long term victim who turns on your captor or abuser or things like that, often you do get a much lesser sentence because it's not that you are, you know, a horrible person who just wants to kill people. You know, you're not a, a serial killer or anything or even just, uh, you know, a a killer uh you're driven to kill so you'll often get a lesser sentence but that's just crazy because that was that was very premeditated that wasn't a spur of the moment you know something was happening and i reacted nah, he he went he went and found out when and where he was gonna be planned to be at the payphones thought about how he was dressed he, he thought about it yeah, well, he he did research. You know, he was asking multiple people when and where. What do you know? How do I get there? Like, and I saw a few things too that, and it's it's this is another thing. It's like there was the uncle. There was the signs there that something was wrong, and then there was also signs that Gary was going to do this. But um, supposedly, um, let me find that name again. Uh, Mike Barnett. Apparently, he told Mike Barnett he was like, "I'm going to kill that sob." Talking about Jeff. The, yeah. So 
Gary had told this officer that he was going to kill him, but the officer was just like, he's going through a period of he's upset. He's he's angry, of course. And but I don't think like having known him for so long, he's like, I don't think he's going to do anything. So they didn't follow up on it. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before, where it is a common thing for you to be like, I'm so mad I could kill him. Yeah. But you wouldn't actually do it. And I guess that's how they felt. So nothing was done. And then this happened. But actually you saying that he was kind of driven to a point of insanity. That's actually why they didn't send him to prison. It was determined that upon hearing the reports of sexual abuse, Gary was driven to a temporarily psychotic state in which he was unable to distinguish right from wrong and that a prison sentence would do more harm than good and that he was no longer a risk of committing another crime. I mean, yeah, because like there was a very particular re- like this was a laser focus, you know, it was. Yeah. So, I mean, I can under understand that um, assessment, but that's still crazy. Yeah. So it, like after all of this was over and he had his sentence and everything like he was able to go back to living his quiet life at home and actually uh, until up until 2011, Gary actually suffered a stroke. Um, and then he was moved to a nursing home where he had another stroke in 2014, where he passed away one month before his 69th birthday. I feel like this story is going to need like an unboxing video. Like it, <laughs> yeah, it really does. There's there's a lot here. <laughs> my, my brain. It's not the longest story, but boy, has it got a lot. It, yeah, it does. And it's like it's one of those ones where you, I physically feel heavy. Yeah. Like I feel like. It feels like Bubba's sitting on my chest. Now that's heavy. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it's, wow. I, I, and it's one of those hard ones, because it's like, I mean, he was he was acting in protection and retribution of his child, which, you know, it's, it's different. It's not like he was just like, oh, I read about this guy in a magazine. He sucks. I'm going to kill him. Yeah, and that's that's an, another thing, too, that's it's interesting. I know this was, like, before airports, like, upped their security and everything, but, like, this, this man was able to bring a gun into the airport in his boot and retrieve it from his boot with a camera crew right behind him, and they didn't see it. Well, nobody was paying attention to him. No, he's just he's just a guy on a payphone. He's a dude on a payphone, and they're paying attention to their news story. Yeah. They're... But that's, like I said, this is one that's interesting to me, is just because, like, there's not... I mean, thankfully, there's not, but there's not many where there was a news crew present and were filming. Yeah, I am very, I'm very glad that they didn't actually get the incident you know the the actual footage the, the graphic part of the incident yes thank you yes you know i'm glad that that isn't on the internet somewhere because i do know that there are some cases i don't watch them but i know i have heard of videos where you actually can see people like getting killed and stuff like that and i don't think that should be on the internet no no but like that's just that's just awful unfortunately that's the internet yeah i know i know but i guess i guess that's why it's still on youtube of course it's got the little age restriction thing you've got to sign in to look at it but it's because all you really hear is the gunshot yeah and you know what happened you understand what happened but you don't actually see it happening yeah you technically don't see it happen but there's enough there that you like you know what happened well as we as we have decided last week, it was not a good story, Cracko, but you did a good job. Yes, there we go. I was like, wait a minute, what did we decide on? <laughs> My story wasn't good? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
I remember now. <laughs> uh, we decided on you giving me all the cookies. No. Half at most. No, we decided. We decided. I will split them into thirds because I know if I mention cookies, there's a certain dragon who's going to who's going to also go for the cookies as well. Oh, uh, well. <sighs> so in this household, I can specifically buy a snack and say, this is this is for me. Please don't eat it. And then I have approximately a day and a half to eat all of it, no matter how large it is. Before, so I know you said not to eat your cookies, but I was hungry, so I ate them. So I'll replace them, and then they never get replaced, or they're replaced and then eaten immediately. So, well, that's because they were replaced, and then you didn't eat them. This is why you buy in bulk, because then you 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 buy more than he can physically eat, and then there's some left. Honestly, I'm beginning to wonder if even that would stop him. I mean, you, there's always you know testing it for science. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with buying 20 pounds of cookies and saying they're all for you. Well, honestly, and okay, he went downstairs, so he won't kill me for saying this unless he can hear me. But like he made a tray of brownies and I had half a brownie out of the whole thing. Technically, he made them. And they did not last. <laughs> yeah, but they only lasted like two days. I'm like, dude, you ate an entire tray of brownies. It's an entire box of brownies. Are you okay? And he doesn't look like the kind of guy who would just go around eating half a tray of brownies. He doesn't. I don't know. Like, it's not fair. I'd look at a cookie and gain weight. He will eat an entire tray of brownies and he's still skinny. It's not, not fair. As they say, sometimes it just be like that. Sometimes it be like that. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thank you for the story, Cracko. Yes. It has been a lot. It has been a lot. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to spend the rest of the night decompressing from that one. But yeah, it was it was it was good work, dude. So and I had never heard of this one, but I try to find the ones that's like this is like, like I said, you know, a lot of people bring this up. So like it is kind of known, but like I don't think it's super well known. But yeah, it's not like, you know, Ted Bundy that everybody knows. <laughs> like it, it's it's one of those those more rare diamonds in the rough, I guess. But alrighty, so thank you for the story, and we will be back next week for I already mentioned it earlier a lovely tale of a cannibal. Wonderful. I mean, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be something. <laughs> sure it's gonna be all sunshine and rainbows. It'll be fine. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Okay, bye.